It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. As always, you can find this show on any podcast app you like, including the Himalaya podcast app. It's a new podcast app, new-ish. It's been around for a while now, but you should go download it. You can make playlists, share them with your friends. It'll make playlists for you, curated uh, around your interests, kind of like what Spotify does. And if you don't like that app, you can always still find it on Spotify, Google, iTunes, wherever you like. If you don't like podcast apps because you listen to this show in your car or you just don't like scrolling through your phone, you can always ask your smart device like Siri or Alexa, hey, play podcast Locked On Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. I'd also like to take a moment to thank this show's sponsors, Grip 6 Belts. Grip 6 is ultra lightweight. They have no holes, no flap, and it's a pretty good Father's Day gift. Go to grip6.com. That's grip, like with your hand, 6, the number 6.com slash lock. L-O-C-K-E. That's grip6.com slash lock. And now that all of that is out of the way, I wanted to get it all out of the way up top because I have three really awesome stories to tell you today. If you are just now jumping onto the Locked On Vikings bandwagon, for one, welcome. And for two, what we've been doing here is talking about each and every player on the 90-man roster. No player is too small or has too remote of odds to get a profile. And we're going to talk about their background, where they came from, how they made it to the NFL, and what they have to gain or lose in training camp. So today, I am going to start with another one of the Vikings' five AAF signings. I think only four remain because one of them got cut for the, the rookie tryouts. At any rate, today we are going to talk about Darren Smith. He was originally a Cincinnati Bengals draft pick. He graced the Browns for a second, went to the AAF, to the San Antonio Commanders, and now he's here trying to make the team as uh, mostly free safety. So I want to take you back to Banning, California, in Northern California, where Darren Smith grew up. And he went to Banning High School, and he was, of course, like a whole superstar there, but he actually wanted to play basketball. He was a star point guard for uh, Banning High School. But as he is 5'9", I think he's 5'10 now, but he's 5'9 in the article that I was reading about this. And so his coaches were like, listen, you are not going to get into college basketball there. You you should try playing football. And he liked the contact of it all. And he, he liked football too. So he ends up playing uh, free safety. He wanted to be a cornerback because there's a little bit more glitz and glamour at the corner position. But he ends up kind of finding his home as a free safety. And his coaches all talk especially about how he gets the mental part of the game down. He played mostly basketball for high school. He didn't like start out, you know, in Pop Warner, Pee Wee Leagues, middle school leagues and stuff like some of the other players that we've covered so far have. And much to his coach's surprise, he picks up the mental side of football, which is usually the steepest learning curve, like really fast. And that's part of why they end up moving him to free safety, where he kind of has the chance to sit back, read the field and kind of flex all of those mental muscles. So as this like cerebral little shifty ball hawking safety, he gets a whole bunch of offers from not huge D1 schools, but D1 schools nonetheless, like Fresno State, where he ends up actually playing alongside Derek uh, Derek Carr for like a lot of his college time. And his time through Fresno State is ultimately fairly standard. You know, that standard college arc that we've talked about with like so many of these players where you 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 redshirt a season, you kind of work your way into the lineup by senior season, you're like good enough to be getting attention from NFL scouts. But unfortunately, that pesky height issue keeps coming back. And people don't really believe in Darren Smith because he's just too short to, you know, get a contested catch against the Alshon Jeffries and at that time Calvin Johnson's of the world. 
but as a longtime starter, team captain, ultra-productive defensive back, he ends up getting drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals in the sixth round. And here is where his story gets very, very fun to me. So he plays for the Bengals for three years. He ends up, he makes the team as a sixth-round pick. He's a backup. He plays a lot of special teams, um, and, and he makes the team again in 2016. He was a 2015 draft pick. And then in the 2017 season, he makes the team a third time. But in 2017, there's some other stuff going on on the Bengals roster. For one, there's this guy named Josh Shaw, who is also playing safety and is kind of showing out. And he has a really good preseason and he's playing well and and like showing up in practice and stuff. And he's kind of like the, the hot name of the 2017 Bengals. This situation to me sounds a lot like kind of like Chad Beebe and Stacey Coley last year. You know, Stacey Coley has been there and he was a draft pick and everything, but but there's this, like, kid coming out of nowhere that's, like, kind of threatening things. Either way, they both end up making the team. However, a little bit into this season, uh, you might remember this, the Bengals kicker, Randy Bullock, gets hurt, and they need to make a roster spot to go sign Marshall Cohen, who you might actually also remember as somebody who tried out for the Vikings and didn't make them that year. He had lost out to Kai Forbath, who would go on to make a pretty important kick in the playoffs for the Vikings anyways. But I digress. Marshall Cohen ends up getting signed onto the Bengals, and they need to make a roster spot, so they kick Darren Smith down to the practice squad. They cut him, and they say, listen, we, we just need the practice squad for now because we need to figure out this kicker situation. When Randy Bullock comes back, then you can come back to the 53-man roster. Like, no hard feelings. This is just something we have to do to make room so that we can have a kicker. And Darren Smith is okay. So he goes to the practice squad, and he stays there for two months. And, and most of the season goes by without him actually getting his roster spot back. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Ohio, the Cleveland Browns end up having an injury in their secondary, and they need somebody to come fill the hole. So they give Darren Smith a call, and they say, hey, listen, you know, you're not getting your roster spot back, but we will give you a roster spot today, and you don't have to keep waiting for the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, terminate your contract with them and, and come play for us. And so he says yes. So he terminates his contract for the Cincinnati Bengals, which is something that practice squad players can always do. They can always choose to leave a practice squad to go to a 53-man roster, and, and he joins the Browns and finishes out the season there. Ending in kind of a fun betrayal. I'll see if I can't find the article I found this on in the show notes, but there's a Cincy Jungle article of, of uh, whoever wrote it being like very salty about like he terminated his contract to go play for the 0-16 bad team. But I don't know. I, I think I would take rostered on the worst team versus unrostered on the best team any day, especially when you consider how the difference in how much money that makes for the last few weeks of the season. So the Browns sign him to a futures contract, and he goes to try to make them in 2018. Hart Knox is there. Baker Mayfield is there. There's all kinds of new excitement and and weirdly not a new coaching staff, but uh, some changes here and there. And wouldn't you know it, for the first time in his NFL career, he doesn't make the 53-man roster, and he doesn't get on the practice squad, and he's just kind of left floating. There are also some injury factors to this, where, like, the Cincinnati thing, he was, like, kind of unavailable at, at key times because of, like, nagging injuries and stuff, so he's sitting there floating, trying to get healthy, and there's really nothing going on, but then that November, December of 2018, you might remember, something called the Alliance of American Football starts up, and they give Darren Smith a call, and they say, we want you to play for the San Antonio Commanders, and so, you know, I've talked about other players who went through the AAF who were kind of on their last leg of their career, but Darren Smith seemed to kind of flame out like pretty quickly for a guy who was consistently rostered, not like 
a year before. This isn't somebody who, you know, bounced from team to team and just never could stick anywhere. He did stick somewhere, and then some weird happenstance got him kicked off that team, and then he just kind of free fell into nothingness. But he ends up going to the San Antonio Commanders, and now you may remember, as I, I talked about when the AAF disbanded and the Vikings were signing people, Darren Smith dominated. He clearly looked like he did not belong in the AAF and that the NFL had made a mistake uh, sending him away and into the, the depths of ethereal nothingness. He racked up interceptions, you couldn't throw at him, he was just this total shutdown force for the commander's defense, and so he was highly sought after when the AAF disbanded. There were like five teams going after him. So that is really, and that was the point of the AAF, right? You take players like Darren Smith, who lost their opportunities, but given another one could shine, give them another one, and watch teams clamor for them now that they've seen some, some better tape. So the Vikings end up winning the sweepstakes, and now he comes into a safety group where he actually has a really good chance to make it. He and Marcus Epps are likely fighting over the fourth and final safety spot. There could be two safety spots available if the Vikings officially move J. Ron Kirst to a different position group, but I I don't think that uh, they're going to classify that as, like, I don't think they're going to cut an extra linebacker because they have J. Ron Curse. They're far more likely to cut a safety because they have J. Ron Curse. So it, to me, it feels like, and they almost always keep exactly four safeties. So to me, it feels like Marcus Epps, Darren Smith, and all of the other safeties like uh, Micah Abernathy, etc., are going to be competing for that last spot. So all he has to do is beat out a sixth round pick. He himself was a sixth round pick. He has a lot of veteran experience. And now he kind of has a chance. And if he doesn't make the team, maybe one of those other teams that was clamoring for him after the AAF disbanded will, you know, look at the state of the Vikings safety group and say, yeah, well, you know, there wasn't room for him, but we might have room for you here. And Darren Smith might have already revived his career, even if this training camp doesn't go his way. That said, there's still plenty riding on it because that's no guarantee. And being back on a 53-man roster would be a huge deal for, for Darren Smith. And because he's 27, there's not a lot more room to develop. Like, he likely is who he is, which means that he's not a very good practice squad candidate if he ends up not making the team. So, training camp in the preseason will determine a lot for, for Darren Smith in the ter- in terms of his career. And all of these AAF guys, you know, there's just only so many chances they're going to get if they don't make the team that they were signed to now. It's a little less true for Darren Smith than it is for everybody else, but still, he's going to have quite a bit to fight for this August. So, I'm going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, we will talk about the next guy on the docket, who is a lot bigger than Darren Smith. I will talk to you in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. 
All right, moving on. So let's talk about another Vikings draft pick. Boy, there's like a lot of these to get through, huh? But today we're going to go over the story of Elisa Meka Udo. Oli Udo for short. I'm so sorry if I butchered that. He's a hulking tackle out of Elon, a very small school that does not produce draft picks very often. And like a number of Vikings, and this number seems to go up every year, uh, his parents are Nigerian immigrants, came over here in the 90s to try to create a better life for their future children, and they had Ole Udo, a giant, giant kid. And in middle school, he was sitting and watching this new sport to him, and, and he first saw it in middle school, he was watching football on TV, and he just like immediately takes a liking to it. And at the time, he was playing basketball, he could dunk without a running start because he's just this big six foot five like mountain man. But the up and down and the sprints and everything were too much for him. He didn't like all that cardio. He liked that that football kind of went in bursts where you could go like put in a huge effort, then you'd have 30 seconds to catch your breath and then a huge effort and hey, you'd have 30 seconds to catch your breath. And keep that whole thing in mind because that definitely is a running theme throughout Oli Udo's career. So he ends up taking in football, much to his parents' chagrin, who don't want them to be football players because of just like how freaking violent the sport is. But eventually... His mom capitulates and he ends up playing football and he gets a, an offer at Elon. Tiny school, but he gets to continue to play. And he shows up to college at over 280 pounds, way out of shape, and he fails a conditioning test. So he has to sit out a year, which most new players do anyways, but he has to sit out a year and lose a whole bunch of weight. And by golly, does he. He sheds 50 pounds. He cuts out junk food. He eats a lot better. He starts being way healthier. He starts putting in the effort that I don't think he ever would in like high school. And I'm sure a lot of people who played college football or, or any college athletics, you kind of understand that it's like it's in college. It's a little bit different. It's not an after school activity. It's like really a way of life. And, and I think that cultural shift, you know, it takes a minute to set in with Oli Uda. But once it does, he just kicks it into a higher gear. And in the Colonial Athletic Association where Elon is, he dominates and he can just like physically overpower everybody. Meanwhile, his parents, who were afraid of him playing football, of course, but still very supportive, will drive 90 miles for every single one of his home games and his mom read it. There's this great story. This is all, a lot of this is from a Star Tribune article from Andrew Kramer that I'll link in the show notes if you haven't seen it already. But his his mother, Rita, will go to these games and doesn't really understand football or what's going on. So she'll like stand up and cheer for something that like, wait, who is on offense? And like, we'll, we'll cheer for things the other team did, not realizing like that like it's bad for her son's team, which I just absolutely love. You know, mom driving all this way to a sport she does not understand just to support her son. It's it's really sweet. But with Oli Udo, here is the catch. So he's really big and, and he goes to the combine and, and he's this like uber athlete, right? He runs a 505 40 time, which is really insane for an offensive lineman, especially an offensive lineman at, you know, 325 pounds and the size that he is like moving that much weight that fast requires like quite a powerful and unique body. But considering the conditioning issues earlier in his career and the small school education and and kind of a smaller pedigree, he comes in really raw and, and with a whole bunch of flaws. I think we talked about that when they first drafted him, that he's just like somebody that doesn't exactly have the polish and technique of somebody coming out of school that like Garrett Bradbury has or that like Riley Reef had when he came out. So rawness plus athleticism makes you a late round draft pick and the Vikings take him in the sixth round and now he gets to join a, an environment where he can kind of maybe compete as a swing tackle. He'll come in and like push against like Rashad Hill for that that swing tackle position and, and the Vikings would typically keep a couple of backup tackles on the roster so there's plenty of room for the both of them. 
but there's also guys like Storm Norton and Aviant Collins kind of muck, mucking things up. So so Ole Udo will have to make sure that A, he stays in, in good enough shape, even though that's something that hasn't really been a problem for him in the last three years. You know, the standards increase in the NFL, and you have to make sure that, uh, you know, your conditioning doesn't hold you back from becoming the, the picture-perfect NFL tackle that you can be. And on top of that, he'll have to put, you know, a lot of technique stuff together. NFL defensive ends, even third-team ones, will dust you. I mean, these are guys that all played, you know, at, at maybe not Elon, maybe not Clemson, but maybe at places like Fresno State, where Darren Smith came from, or even like UAB, where guys like Stacey Keeley come from. Still bigger schools and stiffer competition than anything he saw in college. But for him, even if he doesn't make the team, I mean, he's a, a phenomenal practice squad candidate. A, because the Vikings typically, you know, they, they gravitate toward putting draft picks that don't make the team on their practice squad because a lot of their draft picks are kind of like raw but athletic and need time to develop and, and kind of realize their potential. If they're not good enough to make the roster the first year, there's a really good chance that they might be better the second year and have a better chance. So that's why those guys always end up on the practice squad. But also, like, regardless of his draft status, the fact that he is so athletic and, like, he really, really caught the Vikings' eye in the Combine, and he caught the Vikings' eye at the East-West Shrine game, where he played under uh, Andrew Janoko, who was coordinating that game, so he already, like, had developed a, a relationship with one of the offensive line coaches. Guys with that kind of rawness are not the kind of guy that you take one season on and and give up on. So even if he doesn't make the team, I, I don't think, the, the point of all this is, I don't think there's as much riding on this particular training camp as there will be in the next couple of training camps. So for Ole Udo, I think it's all about just get better as much as you can. And if you make the roster, that's awesome. And if not, you're probably going to get another shot at the Vikings next year. And if it's not the Vikings, it's because somebody else poached you and wanted them to give you, you know, you wanted you to take a shot at their roster. So he should have a, a couple of chances in the NFL uh, bef- before he is starting to fall away into obscurity. So even if it's not this year, future years, he's going to have plenty of chances. So for Oli Udo, it's all about development. So I am going to step away, and when I come back, we will talk about uh, the, the biggest ticket guy on today's list of players to cover, Eric Kendricks. I will see you all in a second. All right, moving on. So it is actually kind of been a while uh, since we've talked about like a bona fide starter like one Eric Kendricks. But to get to know Eric Kendricks, you have to go back in time to the 70s and get to know his father. Marvin Kendricks, much like his son Eric, was a football player for the UCLA Bruins. He played running back and ultimately he never really caught on in the NFL. He got a chance. He played with the Canadian League a little bit and he kind of like bounced around here and there, but ultimately flamed out like a lot of college players do. They just kind of are are not quite of the caliber and, and they don't quite catch on at the next level. Now, it can be a really tough thing to come to grips with for anybody who, like, doesn't achieve their dream. You know, on this series, we talk about people who are getting a chance in the NFL right now, and that means that to some degree they were all successful. But for Marvin, he didn't get it. And this is the the moment that a lot of players come around September will be here. Some of the people covered in this very series will be in this moment where they didn't make it, and nobody called them, and that's it. Now it's time to go find a new job, find a new career path, and and find a new dream? Like, it's really difficult to move on from something, especially when you spent high school and college and everything working toward this dream of getting into the NFL, and then nobody calls your phone, and that's that. It's really difficult to come to grips with. And for Marvin Kendricks, he didn't handle it all too well. During this particularly difficult moment, his grandmother and his mentor, somebody he was very close to, passes away. 
and again, something that he does not handle very well. And he turns to drugs, and eventually he finds himself addicted to crack cocaine. With two boys, Michael and Eric, and one girl, Danielle, he loses sight of everything. And, and I think he'd be the first to tell you that this was a, a really dark moment in his life. Uh, Yvonne, the mother of all three kids, take the kids and, and shove Marvin out. And that's it. Marvin is now no longer a part of his children's life, and he is in a, a dark, dark place. He finds God, seeks help, and as of this day, I think it's 17 years that he's sober, he finds a time to get back into the boy's life. And, and I wanted to get that out of the way so that you know that this isn't that dark of a story. But there is a time that he is, is, is not very good to his boys, and not being there or being there, but you know, involving them in, in a, a really, like, bad thing that you should not be involving children in or, or even putting them in proximity to, it, it's tough, and there's no real way to sugarcoat it or, or make it sound any more pleasant than it was. It, it wasn't. And Eric has a tough time coping with this, as any little boy would, so he lashes out and he fights. You know, he and his brother, Michael, uh, Michael Kendricks, the linebacker currently for the Seahawks, uh, white-collar criminal, and and former longtime Philadelphia Eagle, they fight a lot, as brothers tend to do. They fight a bunch and, and you know, roughhouse and all that stuff, but there's also a little bit of troublemaking to it. And Eric lashes out and has a little bit of a temper, and, you know, this is like elementary school, so it's not, like, particularly dangerous, but it's a, a sign of something that maybe, you know, you should do something about it. So his mother gets him, gets the two boys into soccer, doesn't want him playing football, that's too violent, which is always such a fun uh, thing to say because we know how this turns out, but they get into soccer. That, however, backfires on her when soccer turns into Eric Kendricks being a kicker and punter for Herbert Hoover High School in Fresno, California, and now he's on the football field, now he's hooked, and eventually he starts playing quarterback and running back and linebacker, and he's, he's just completely in it. So he, in high school, reconnects with his father, who has now come clean, found God, and been, you know, be, try, is trying to make amends and be a better part of his son's life. But this is, of course, tenuous at first. It takes a little bit for, you know, the teenage boy to come to grips with forgiveness and to, to find a way to, you know, parse out the extremely emotionally complex situation that his father is in right now. But eventually they do reconcile and they do maintain a re relationship, at least as far as I know, to this day. But enough of the off-field stuff. On the field, Eric Kendricks is a superstar. He plays at a whole bunch of different positions. He's way more athletic than all the other boys on the field. And that gets him an offer at UCLA. And his career through UCLA on the field is very standard, something that you will have heard a million times before and will hear a million times again as this series wears on. He redshirts a little bit. He, he gets his weight where it needs to be. And by the time he's ready to declare for the draft in 2015, he's a superstar. And he decides at some point, either during his college or pro career, I'm not sure when this started, but he decides that, of course, he's going to give back to his community, as many NFL players do. And he says, listen, I had a lot of trouble in my childhood, but one of those troubles was not hunger. My His mother, Yvonne, worked really, really hard to make sure that there was always food on the table and that the kids were always taken care of, and that's not a luxury that everybody has. That's something that a lot of kids struggle with, is, is not you know going to bed hungry at night. So he sets up a whole bunch of charity stuff in his major charitable thing, the My Cause, My Cleats, everything you'll always see from Eric Kendricks is always centered around childhood hunger, childhood starvation, and, and making sure that as few kids as possible go to bed hungry at night. On the field, he, you know, he plays well enough to get drafted in the second round, become a Viking, 
you know, plays well through his rookie contract, signed a big extension last year, and, and you know, the on-field thing you're probably very familiar with. So it's not really going into worth going into in much detail. He, he has a roommate in, in college, Anthony Barr. He gets to play right next to him with the Vikings. That whole thing is all very sweet and, and very well documented. So, you know, rehashing it on this show probably doesn't do a lot of good. But there is one really fun anecdote. You might remember a couple years ago, week one against the Tennessee Titans, Eric Kendricks caught a pick six that ended up kind of icing that game. That was a big moment for him, not only because it was a pick six and that's a big deal for your career as a football player, but because his dad was in attendance in that game and waiting for him when he came off the field and thinking about all of the things that both of them went through to get to that point from, you know, the blood, sweat and tears of football to all the things his father went through. Uh, you know, to get to that point, that happy reunion, that, that, you know, congratulations, son, and a big hug, there's a lot of stuff that led to that, and a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different places that both of them could have ended up if things had gone a little bit differently, and, and I think both people have a lot to be thankful for, and it's a story that I think deserves to be told in a world where, you know, the negative side of that story is told far too often. This is, by and large, a, a happy ending, a really happy ending, especially now that Eric Kendricks has signed a big old contract extension, and not to mention a big signing bonus in, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. When you have a story like that, a, a story that could have ended up so bad and ended up, in fact, incredible, you know, current scandals aside for his brother, but otherwise the family's in a great spot. And that's not something that every family that's gone through that can say, and it's worth taking a step back and appreciating it for a guy that we're mostly familiar with what he does on the field rather than what his life is like off of it. So on that note, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, full disclosure, I recorded this pretty early in the weekend, so if anything happened at OTAs or there's any news that I happen to miss between now and when you're listening to this, I, I promise I will catch up on a, a future show. But in the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. Thanks again to the sponsor of this show, Grip6. Go check out Grip6.com lock. Go download the Himalaya podcast app. It is free. I don't ever say that. It's free. That's that's important. Subscribe to this show wherever you like to find your podcasts. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast locked on Vikings, and it'll always take you to the most recent show. Thank you all so much for hanging out throughout all this storytelling stuff. And as always, Skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked on Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked on NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.